Welcome to episode 213 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get 15% off something that I use every single night of my life and is a game changer for my energy levels and sleep. So I am often asked, what are my favorite quote, biohacking products, and something I truly, honestly cannot imagine my life without are blue light blocking glasses. In today's modern environment, we are massively overexposed to blue light. It's a stimulating type of light, which can lead to stress, anxiety, headaches, and in particular, sleep issues. Blue light actually stops our bodies from producing melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So our exposure to blue light can completely disrupt our circadian rhythm, make it hard to fall asleep, make it hard to stay asleep, and so much more. Friends, I identify as an insomniac. I would not be able to sleep without my blue light blocking glasses. I also stay up late working and wearing blue light blocking glasses at night has made it so I can do that and still fall asleep. My absolute favorite blue light blocking glasses on the market are Bon Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. Bon Charge makes an array of blue light blocking glasses in all different designs so you can truly find something that fits your style and reap all of the benefits of blue light blocking. They have their clear computer glasses. You can wear those during the day, especially if you're looking at screens all day to help with anxiety, headaches, and stress. They have their light sensitivity glasses. Those are tinged with a special yellow color, scientifically proven to boost mood, and they block even more blue light. Those are great for the day or evening. And then they have their blue light blocking glasses for sleep. Those are the ones that I put on at night while working before bed. Oh my goodness, friends. It's something you truly have to experience. You put on these glasses and it's like you just tell your brain, okay, it's time to go to sleep soon. They also have amazing blackout sleep masks. Those block 100% of light with zero eye pressure. I wear this every single night and I don't know how I would sleep without it. And I'm so grateful because Bond Charge is offering my audience 15% off. Yes, you can get 15% off site-wide when you go to bondcharge.com and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com with the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 15% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. 
All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 213 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Well, I'm doing great, and I'm very excited that our backyard remodel is starting to finally, they're they're now starting to build back instead of just remove. Oh, oh, that that is exciting. Yeah, because they did all the demo, which was insane. (laughs) Taking out the old broken pool is a lot of work. Yeah, they, they took it all out. They took out the rotten deck. We had stuff that needed to be, it needed work. So starting fresh, they had to bring in a bunch of dirt. The new pool is actually in the hole, which is exciting. We got a fiberglass pool, and it's small. The guy who delivered it from Tennessee said, this is the smallest pool I've ever delivered. Oh, really? Yeah. What made you decide to do a small one? Well, it's what's considered a dunk pool these days. Actually, it's like 16 feet long by 9 feet, 16 by 9, which is plenty big. You know, we don't want the whole backyard to be pool. It's going to have a water feature going into it, like a waterfall. And fiberglass is a really durable finish for a pool. You don't have to replaster it, that sort of thing. So, you know, it's it's just going to be a nice little place. You can hop in on a hot day, cool off, but it won't need as much maintenance. It won't need as many chemicals. It won't need as much, you know, everything. We're not going to be training for the Olympics in there. So, and also, you know what I've realized that I'm so excited about? What? You know how I like to be warm? Yes. Because it's small, it's going to be warmer than a big pool. That's nice. I'm so excited. Are you going to get it heated? Yes, we do have a pool heater. And so we'll be able to heat it. Like, I'm not going to say we're going to heat it 12 months out of the year. But what's funny is the evolution of the project. You know, when we decided to demo the old pool because it was going to cost more to fix it than we wanted to put into it, which I know sounds crazy, take out a pool, put in a pool, but the cost of redoing an old, huge pool is extensive. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and the maintenance on is ongoing. So my original thought was, why don't we just get a really big hot tub? You know, they have the big spas, and, and you know, you don't have to turn the heat on. You could use it as like a little pool in the summer. Let's just get a really big hot tub. And then that kind of morphed into a really small pool. <laughs> but we'll be able to warm it up. Is it going to be salt water? Yes, it will be salt water. But we'll be able to keep it warm. Like I said, I don't know that it'll be 12 months out of the year, but let's say we're having an unseasonably warm November. I can heat it up and go out there and get in the water, and it won't cost a million dollars to heat it. You could also make it an ice bath. I could. That's true. (laughs) On the flip side of things. On the flip side, yeah, I'm not going to make it an ice bath, but I could if I wanted to. So I'm really excited. And they they have put the foundation in for the screened porch. You know, I have not had a screened porch since we moved into this house in 2019, and I miss it. 
we had a screen porch in our other house. And so it's going to be really nice. I cannot wait. I want to see pictures. All right. Right now it's like a big dirt hole with a cinder block foundation. And the pool is just sitting in a dirt hole. And, you know, so many decisions like, what do you do for your pool deck? And Chad is not good at decisions. Let me just tell you, he's not good. So do you make the decisions? Yes, but I have to let him be involved, and then we do what I wanted to do. But it takes a long time to get to where I wanted to be, and so I have to, like, get there. But I know what we're going to do. Right. So do you, like, narrow down it to a few options? Well, yeah. I just, I've, You know, we've been married for almost 30 years, so I know how to play the game now. <laughs> we're going to go with the item I have chosen, and he's going to like it, and it is the one he would like the best. And I know that. I just have to get him there. It's like when we go out to eat and he's trying to decide what to pick off the menu. I already know what he's going to (laughs) like. And I know what he's not going to like. And sometimes he'll pick the thing I know he's not going to like. And I'm like, all right, he shouldn't have picked that. And I was right. (laughs) But you could get to know someone better than they know themselves. That's so funny. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Please don't pick that dinner. Anyway. Yeah. Good times. Do you pretty much, when you go to dinners, end up liking what you order? Oh, I always do. Yeah, me too. Because I very carefully choose what I'm going to get. Me too. I'm very, very specific, and that may look picky, but I always end up liking it, and everybody's happy. Yep. Now, if I order a steak, for example, and I order it medium rare on the rare side, and it comes back and it's well done, I, or you know, even if it was me, I'd send, I will send that back. I'm not much of a person who will send back, but I will if the steak is overdone. We might have talked about this already. I'm still trying to figure out how to get like an actual rare steak. They just don't do it. I like medium rare. So if I order rare, it's always fine. I like blue. Yeah, I don't want it to be that rare. But if you order rare, it will come out rare to medium rare. I've started eating raw steaks at home. Okay. That's a lot of information. (laughs) I was slicing it. Okay. (laughs) Okay, wait, let me backtrack. You get in your sauna that's like a coffin. You're eating raw meat. Are you a vampire? (laughs) Maybe. Okay. Well, okay. To clarify a little bit, I get the grass-fed, you know, steaks. I was like, oh, I can make carpaccio because, you know, you slice it really thin. But then what ended up happening was I just would end up eating the whole thing. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like if you slice it, you ate carpaccio. But if you don't slice it, then you ate a raw steak. I mean, there's really no difference. You're exactly right between carpaccio and just eating the steak. (laughs) When you slice it like carpaccio, though, it's really easy to eat compared to when you don't. Now, I will say this. Okay, interesting point. I do like cold meat. Like when I was at the beach with my sister recently, we went out to eat and I ordered a, a rare steak and it was really good, but I could only eat half of it. And so she was going home the next day, and I was staying one more day. And I'm like, well, I'll just eat this later. And you're not going to reheat a steak that's already been cooked. So I ate it cold, and I really enjoy a leftover steak cold. That sounds weird, but it's probably the same thing as what you're doing. It's got a different kind of experience. All right. So I kind of almost did the same thing. It is funny, though, if you think about it. We categorize things in our head differently, like the carpaccio versus raw steak. It's true. Carpaccio. I made a carpaccio. A thick sliced carpaccio. <laughs> My carpaccio was one inch thick, right? Oh. No, I'm I'm just saying that's what you did. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. That's funny. Yeah, that works. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry. Yeah. I haven't opened my window yet. I'll probably do that after this. I gotta get back to writing though. <sighs> Getting close to that deadline. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy. I'm actually getting delivered on Saturday a mirror. The exercise thing? Mm-hmm. Very cool. I'm very excited. Are they going to be sponsoring your podcast? No. You just ordered it? No. <laughs> They're giving it to me. Okay. That's awesome. I'm really excited. Well, shall we jump into everything for today? Yes, we shall. All right. We've got some feedback from Danielle, and the subject is thanks. And she said, no question, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for the podcast. I started listening on a Saturday and had enough information by Monday to start IF the right way. I listen every day, and I feel like I have my own personal coaches to guide me along the way. Every time I have a question, it seems to be answered in the next episode. Keep up the great work, and thanks again. You're welcome, Danielle. Thank you. (laughs) 
Yeah, I love that too. You know, somebody in Delayed on Deny Social Network said just this past week, she's like, you know, I she asked a question. I have an Ask Jen group that people can ask me anything. So she asked me the question, and then I answered it. And then she said as a follow-up, she's like, oh, I just listened to episode, I can't remember what it was, and someone asked the almost the exact same question. You gave exactly the same answer. <laughs> I'm like, see? <laughs> that made me happy, yeah. Well, I mean, I did have a lot of practice with all those years in the Facebook group. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of questions have I answered? And how many of them were unique questions versus the same question over and over again? Yeah. There are many, many questions. It is nice to see, though, that I've thought about this a lot, like even since writing What, When, Wine, because I'll think about different topics and what I wrote about initially in that book. I'm pretty sure I still pretty much agree with everything I wrote in that book. I I was thinking about it recently with the cholesterol stuff, and I was like, oh, I wonder what I said about cholesterol when I wrote it then. But I'm, of course, always, always open to change, but it is nice when things seem to be consistent. You know, that's true. I've gone back and looked at Delayed on Deny, you know, which I wrote in 2016, which is a long time ago. You know, I have so much more experience now. I had only been in maintenance for just over a year when I wrote Delayed on Deny. And I've gone back and looked at it and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I said this back in 2016. Go me, you know. (laughs) So I'd be curious, I should revisit my book and see if I have changed my mind substantially on anything. That would be interesting. I still would like to republish Delayed on Deny, an updated version, be a little more specific about the clean fast, use the words clean fast, because I did not. We had not invented those words yet in 2016. So I didn't say the word clean fast a single time because we weren't using that terminology till 2017, which is so interesting. Then also, I would like to have an updated testimonials section. I've talked about this before on other podcasts because reading the testimonials section is so interesting because obviously no one had read Delayed on Deny yet because it wasn't out. So the testimonial section is a hodgepodge of just really any kind of fasting I could cobble together. Anyone who had fasted, they weren't following my method because my method was not out there. They are just people that, that I connected with through fasting groups. And so some of the approaches are, are interesting and not what I would recommend. I remember talking about that on one of our episodes. Somebody had asked a question about one of the testimonials. Right. And so it's, it's interesting. I would like to revise that section. So hopefully one day. I would like to do it with a traditional publisher one day. So we'll see how that goes. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Speaking of fasting, that is a big update. Tomorrow's the recording for Dave Asprey's Oh, that's fun. Conference. Which will already have happened by the time people hear this episode. I wonder if they'll have a they probably won't the ability to rewatch afterwards. It's a biohacking conference, though, not fasting specifically. But it's very exciting. But fasting is a biohack. Although we talked about this before and you you said you didn't think it was. I still do. I still do. Sorry. <laughs> we'll have to agree to disagree. Uh, semantics. Shall we jump into our questions? Yes. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Liz, or the subject is an update and a new question. And Liz says, hi, Melanie and Jen. First off, I wanted to start by thanking you for answering my questions in episode 208. I've continued to binge listen to the IF podcast and am up to episode 171. On Mondays, I usually listen to at least three episodes, the episode released that day and two previous episodes while I am traveling to and from and in between sites for work. I was totally shocked to hear my questions answered so quickly after I submitted them. Only a month and two days wait. I loved how in answering my initial questions, Melanie suggested many products that I have already purchased throughout the past six weeks based on suggestions in previous episodes, i.e. Bioptimizers, Masszymes, HCL, P3OM, and the FoodSense app. Oh, that makes me really happy. (laughs) She says, I've also bought a Juve, a Life Pro vibration plate, and a yearly membership to Jen's Delayed Don't Deny Social Network. So proud to be a founding member. Yay! Aye, aye, aye. I'm with you, Jen. The IF lifestyle isn't faring to be so cheap for me, given all of the good food and tools I have added to my longevity toolbox. The good news is the money you save on food, you can spend on other things. (laughs) Right? I know she it's not cheap for her because she's bought all these tools and, and better food. So it balances out. 
the money you save on the not eaten meals you can put towards the eaten meals. The better food and the tools, exactly. And save on healthcare costs. Absolutely. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I'll plug it again. I talked about it last episode, but I'm really getting an appreciation of healthcare costs reading Dr. Robert Lustig's Metabolical and where money is spent and how much things cost and the system. Oh, it is crazy. The system is crazy. Chad just had to have something removed from his dermatologist on his leg, and then they sent it off for testing, you know, to make sure it wasn't skin cancer. And they sent it to a non-network lab without even telling him or asking him or anything. And so he got this bill for thousands of dollars or something. It's a crazy bill. And he's like, what? They're like, sorry, not covered out of network. He's like, how could I have possibly prevented that from happening? But he, he called and everything got worked out and they just, whatever. But yeah. One of the things he talks about in the book is the problem that comes in where things become unaffordable for people that have become mandatory for life. So insulin, EpiPens, things like that. It's a system that we've become locked into that feeds on itself and feeds on disease. Like it can only exist as long as we're sick. Not to sound conspiratorial, but if we were all healthy or didn't need prescription medication, there would be no industry. So, well, that's true. So, dun, dun, dun. Ominous music cue. So Liz says, to update you on my previous questions, Bioptimizer's products have helped my digestion tremendously. That's in all caps. She says, I love the Wade and Matt episode so much. I rarely experience bloating after eating now. Wearing the CGM also affirmed Melanie's thoughts that I would be less worried about my blood glucose levels after observing the normal fluctuations. I'm no longer testing blood ketones, but I did purchase a keto breath sensor based on a suggestion in Melanie's Lumen Biosense and CGM's Facebook group. It has been so encouraging to see that I can be in high ketosis even after only 12 hours of fasting, according to the readings on the keto sensor. Really quick tangent that reminded me of something. Somebody sent me a message on Instagram the other day and they had a Biosense ketone measure and then they had the Lumen device, which measures carb or fat burning. It doesn't measure ketones. For listeners, it measures CO2 levels in your breath to tell you if you're burning carbs or fat. And she was so confused. She said that the lumen said she was burning fat, but the biosense was not registering ketones and she could not understand how she could be burning fat and not burning ketones. And I just bring that up because I, I still just think this is one of the biggest misconceptions out there. We've talked about it a lot in recent podcasts, but you can burn fat without burning ketones. <laughs> I just want to like drill that into people's heads because I think so many people think you only burn fat when you're in ketosis, which is just not the case. Anyways, back to the question. So Liz says, now to my question, I've made terrific progress in the past six weeks, five days, thanks to your wonderful guidance. I lost eight pounds following a 24 one meal a day protocol in the first four weeks and have lost an additional two pounds following a four, three protocol the past three weeks. I'm hoping to lose another 10 to 15 pounds to be at the mid range BMI for my height. My goal weight is the same weight I was in high school and college after I lost the freshman 15 in my junior year. I'm 45 years old and have not been at my goal weight since I gave birth to my first child nearly 10 years ago. After my second child, while I lost weight initially after giving birth in 2017, I never got down to my goal weight. My weight has since crept up during COVID. And once I hit a BMI of 27.2, I knew it was time for a change. How feasible is it for me to reach my high school slash college weight living an IF lifestyle? Am I chasing a pipe dream given that I am in perimenopause? Thanks again for sharing all of your knowledge. While I'm not a big fan of cruises, I always joke that they are like prisons with the possibility of drowning. I do hope to get the chance to attend a delay don't deny cruise someday once life gets back to normal, whatever that is. Well, I love hearing that, Liz. And let me speak to the cruise first. You know, we planned one, obviously, for 2020 that was canceled because all cruises were canceled. And then we optimistically at that time, which was March of 2020, when we were all still very optimistic. Remember those days, Melanie? Mm -hmm. We planned one for June of 2021. And that one also got canceled, although they are running some cruises. Personally, I've decided I am not willing to go on a cruise until we're not wearing masks and back to normal being able to hug people. 
I mean, I don't know if that's ever again, but if cruises are now a masked thing, I can't think of anything that sounds less fun than being packed into a cruise ship because it's hard enough. You know, it's a small ship. I love being on a cruise ship, but I don't think I would love it with COVID precautions. If we don't ever get back to society where things were normal, which terrifies me as a human who's, you know, 51 years old and doesn't want to have to learn a whole new way of living, we'll we'll have to make a plan for doing something that's land-based. So one day there will be an event. Will it be a cruise? Will it be land-based? I don't know. We'll just have to see. The reason we do cruises, they are just such an affordable vacation. You know, you can spend a whole lot more on a land-based trip than you on a cruise because cruises are just you can you can travel in the rooms that are you know inside rooms and you can you can make a very economical trip and so I wanted more people to have the chance to go. I mean, if you want to travel in a suite on a cruise ship, you can. So you can spend more and have a more upscale vacation, or you can really go on a budget. That that's what I love about cruises; they fit all the budgets. Anyway. Back to the question, can Liz go back to her high school, college weight, living an intermittent fasting lifestyle? I think the answer to that is a resounding yes, especially since she says that she got back to that weight when she was about 35 after having her first child. If you can get back there at 35, I think you can get back there later. One caveat, if you're in perimenopause, it might not happen till you're on the other side of menopause because this hormonal change is really no joke. If all you can do during the perimenopausal, menopausal transition is maintain, that is a victory because a lot of women gain weight. In fact, most women gain weight over the menopausal transition. So if you maintain, you're winning. And then once you get to the other side, maybe you'll you'll lose the rest of the weight then. That's just something to keep in mind. You know, hormones are no joke. We're actually, Melanie, talking to Dr. Anna Kabeca on Wednesday for the Life Lessons podcast. I'm so excited. Oh, really? Yeah. We let's see. This up ep- Oh, this is this is great timing cuz this episode that we're recording today comes out May 17th and we're recording a two-part episode with Dr. Kabeca for Life Lessons and it'll come out the first one will come out May what is that? 19th. So if somebody's listening right now, 2 days from now you can hear on Life Lessons we're going to talk to Dr. Anna Kabeca about the menopausal transition, women's hormones. And then the week after that, which is May 26th, we're going to talk about sexual health for females. Oh, wow. I know. So I look forward to talking to her. We're not talking about fasting. (laughs) That will actually be between the two of us, probably like the fifth interview with her. Because I think she's been on my show twice. She's been on IF Podcast. Twice. We had her on our show twice. Oh, she's been on an IF podcast twice, my show once. Okay. So there'll be a total of five Anna Kabeca episodes. Yeah, she's wonderful. And so so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So anyway, we'll talk to her. She's obviously an OBGYN and female hormone expert. So I look forward to that. This period of time is really no joke. And we have a lot of questions as women because it's not something that we've openly talked about, you know, historically. The hormonal transition, it's all shrouded in mystery. Yeah. That's exciting. I'm going to listen to that episode. All right. So, yeah, we'll have two. Two parts. Awesome. We're glad Liz is doing so well. And also, Liz, I'm so glad that you're in the Delay Don't Deny Social Network. Yep. She's in all the groups. I was laughing during it in my head because it sounds like we wrote this to to like talk about all the things that we love because she loves all the things. So... Didn't we get one review one time? He said we make up things. That's what I was laughing about. We don't. I promise. <laughs> one time we got an email saying that we make up emails from listeners, and I laugh thinking about it. <laughs> listeners, I do not have time to make up fake emails. Like, like, it was way too much, way too much effort. So that is so funny. But if we were going to make up a fake email, I would have said that, but we did not. We And I know who Liz is because I've actually interacted with her in the social network. Oh, you have? Yes. Her question was also on last week, and now her name is in my head. But yep, just today she posted something in the Ask Jen group, and I responded to her. So she, Liz is real. She's a real person. She's a real person, and we have now talked on the network. So a resource for listeners if they would like to get that lumen device the link for it is melanieavalon.com slash lumen 
And the coupon code Melanie Avalon 25 gets you $25 off. And then that Lumen Biosense CGM community that she talks about, you can join that. Unless, Melanie, unless it's all fake. And the DDD social network is also all just me. Every single person. And every single person in my IF Biohackers Facebook group is not real. Oh, man. That would require a lot of effort. It would require a lot of effort. I can't even imagine. Unless it was like, you know, artificial intelligence or something. Good times. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 20% off one of my favorite things for truly taking charge of your health, including testing something we talk about all the time, your insulin levels. So to live your healthiest and longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source that would be your body. By using data from your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers, Inside Tracker gives you personalized and science backed recommendations on things that you can take control of to optimize your health. What I love about Inside Tracker is that Inside Tracker tests provide optimal ranges, not conventional ranges, for over 40 biomarkers, including magnesium, vitamin D, testosterone, cortisol, ferritin, which is the storage form of iron that is rare for doctors to test, ApoB, three key female biomarkers, and something I am so excited about, Inside Tracker recently added insulin testing to their ultimate plan. Friends, I am thrilled about this. We talk about insulin all the time on this show. It is so relevant to your metabolic health and your lifespan. In particular, insulin tracking is an early warning sign for several chronic diseases and is a key indicator of energy optimization. It can really let you know if your diet, if your fasting is working for you, you want to test your insulin. It is so hard to get doctors to test insulin, and now you can do it with Inside Tracker. The thing I love most about Inside Tracker is that they have a strict science-backed approach to everything they do. If your specific biomarker level is unoptimized, Inside Tracker actually provides recommendations that are backed by dozens of peer-reviewed studies and personalized to you. This process was set in place by their founders that include experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. And for a limited time, our audience can get 20% off their ultimate plan, which includes testing that insulin when you sign up at insidetracker.com slash IF podcast. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, then visit insidetracker.com slash ifpodcast. And one of the things I really love about Inside Tracker is it helps you track all of your results, all of your tests over time, so you can see patterns, see your history. It makes predictions of where you'll be if you continue on your current trajectory. It is a game changer for making sense of your labs. I am obsessed with Inside Tracker. Again, you can get 20% off their ultimate plan, including testing your insulin levels at insidetracker.com slash ifpodcast. And we will put all of this information in the show notes. We have a question from Rebecca. All right. And the subject is what's with the weak stomach? And she says, hi, Jen and Melanie. Before I get into my question, I want to thank you ladies for changing my life. I am 27 and had struggled with yo-yo dieting and binge eating for six years. Watching the scale creep up year after year was devastating, and it felt like there was nothing I could do to stop it. Then, about a year ago, I experienced some hardships and turned to food to cope. I indulged in all my cravings and binged almost every day on garbage food. I gained 35 pounds in six months, and I was already overweight. I remember feeling so helpless and thinking, okay, I'm giving up. I'll just be fat forever. Then I stumbled upon intermittent fasting. The first few tries were unsuccessful until I found this podcast. Listening to you ladies gave me the support, knowledge, and motivation that I needed to stick with it. In five months of IFing, I lost 48 pounds. I definitely still have some weight to lose, but I have not felt this good in a long time. I now have a healthy relationship with food and have noticed incredible changes in my body, not just weight loss not to mention the massively positive effect it has had on my mental health. I finally feel free. Now, on to my question. The only negative I have found with IF is that I now have a, quote, weak stomach. 
If I see something gross on TV or if someone is talking about something gross, I can't handle it anymore and feel like I'm going to gag or throw up. I know this may seem silly, but I never had this issue until I started IF. I'd say it started around month two. It happens both in the fed and fasted state. What the heck is going on? Why do I now have a weak stomach? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Any research on the subject? Any tips to stop this nonsense? Anyway, thank you so much for everything. Please just keep doing what you're doing and spreading the word about this wonderful lifestyle. Sending positive vibes your way, Rebecca. All right, Rebecca. Well, thank you so much for your question. I really liked this question. I don't think we've ever had this specific question before. Okay, so I sat down to research this and just trying to research intermittent fasting and nausea. When you go that route, you pretty much get a lot of things just talking about people, you know, like contraindications for fasting. And if you get nauseous while fasting, stop fasting type thing, which was not really what I was looking for because Rebecca's question is, she's not saying that she fasts and gets nauseous. It's she fasts and sees a trigger for nausea. So something that grosses her out and then feels nauseous when in the past she didn't. So a different route and researched fasting and the role of pre-op and post-op and nausea responses in surgery, because I was thinking, okay, maybe a correlation to this would be exposing the body to something that would make it nauseous. Does fasting make you more or less likely to be nauseous? So I, I think that would probably correlate to her question, but just surgery obviously can create nausea to probably a much greater extent than what Rebecca is seeing. But in any case, yeah, anesthesia makes me super nauseous. Yeah. Yeah. That's an example. And, you know, they'll often give you anti-nausea medications with those procedures for that very reason. So this actually might be something that I haven't changed my mind about from the book, but I think the only time I mention, I don't know if I mention it in what, when, why, but I do talk about the role of fasting and chemotherapy. There are studies showing that fasting tends to help with chemotherapy outcomes and the nausea. So in my head, I was thinking that fasting would probably be supportive of not getting nauseous, but actually, so there's a lot of studies and I'll put links in the show notes to them. So some of the studies, for example, was shortened preoperative fasting for prevention of complications associated with, and this was a very intense one, laparoscopic cholecectomy, a meta-analysis, the effect of preparative solid food status on the occurrence of nausea, vomiting, and aspiration symptoms in enhanced CT examinations, post-operative nausea and vomiting, a simple yet complex problem, post-operative fasting abbreviation and its effects on post-operative nausea and vomiting incidents in gynecological surgery patients. I'll stop now. There's even more. Oh, relationship between preoperative time of fasting and post-operative nausea and vomiting. So there's actually a lot of research on this and it was not what I think, although it might explain Rebecca's question. So most of the studies on it find either no correlation. So fasting doesn't seem to help either way with nausea, or some of them do find that fasting makes the nausea worse. So in some of the trials, when they have shortened fasting times, or if they pre-feed with carbs before the surgery, the post-op nausea is significantly reduced. So what I'm thinking might be going on with Rebecca is, and this is just me theorizing, but it sounds like for some people, fasting makes the body, if exposed to a trigger for nausea, more likely to get nauseated. That's my thoughts on that. Jen? I don't know that I would mm, use that that surgical medical kind of a stuff because those aren't people who are living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. They're just fasting before a procedure so they don't like throw up in the middle of surgery and aspirate. So they're not fat adapted. They're not, I'm just not sure that's a good state to compare. You know what I mean? I think it probably is because like, I know for me, I'm more likely to get nauseous while fasted than not. And my visceral experience of that is that when I'm exposed to a a nausea trigger, when I'm fasted, it's more likely to affect me than if I have food. I understand that if if it was just in the fasted state, you know, like I remember when I was pregnant, you know, I, I had morning sickness and the only thing I could do was keep food in my stomach to keep from being nauseous. So I do get that part of it. 
But she said she's experiencing it in the Fed and the fasted state by both times. That's the part. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, it happens both in the Fed and the fasted state. So I don't know why she would be nauseous in the Fed state. Oh, that is weird. Right. That's why I, I don't understand why that might. I've never heard anybody say that they also had increased nausea in the Fed state after starting intermittent fasting. Like, never, ever have I heard anybody say that. So I would wonder if it was something else going on. I would think so. If she said just fasted, I still think. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm still not sure, though, that the surgical is quite the best just because people are not adapted to fasting. Like, we do find that when people are new to intermittent fasting, they're more, more likely to get nauseous early in the process before being fat adapted. In fact, we tell them, go ahead and eat if that happens. If you're trying to, you know, ease into fasting and you find yourself shaky or nauseous, eat. That's your body telling you time to go ahead and break the fast. But once you adapt, we don't usually see people having the nausea. Yeah. I just feel like I've been doing fasting for, you know, a decade. And I do feel like I'm more likely to get nauseous while fasted still. Like, I don't I don't really get nauseous, but I'm probably more susceptible to it now than if I were in the fed state. I believe that, too. I mean, I do believe it. It shouldn't be a common occurrence. Like, I don't walk around getting nauseous? No. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Although the worst seasickness I've ever had was in the fed state. (laughs) But that's a whole different thing. Seasickness is different. I always have had trouble with motion sickness before fasting or after fasting. It's not worse now. It's certainly not better, though. (laughs) So I guess, I don't know, I would suggest... I can't think. To me, I wonder if she's got something going on with her inner ear that's completely unrelated to fasting. Because if you have an inner ear problem, she said it started around month two. So it wasn't something that was happening from day one. So something might have happened in month two, maybe like I said, with her inner ear, because that can cause you to have vertigo. That is a really good suggestion. Yeah. I would not assume it's related to fasting since it's happening in the fed and the fasted state. And it didn't start at the beginning. You might also want to work with a doctor or a GI. Oh, yeah. I would have your ears looked at by a doctor, first of all. And if it is your ears, would you get back with us and let us know? (laughs) Jen, the diagnostician. (laughs) Hey, teachers have to be good diagnosticians. We learn to do that in the classroom. When do you need to send a child to the nurse? When are they just fine? When is a Band-Aid going to solve everything? When do you need to call their mom? You know. I think I've shared this before, but I have a little tip for people who get nauseous or faint while getting their blood drawn. What is that? So instead of thinking of them taking blood out and making you faint because you're losing blood, I like to visualize them taking out, this is going to sound weird, but taking out something I don't want in me. So pulling the badness out or something. I only fainted once while getting my blood drawn and it was literally in college. It was forever ago. Once you've done that once, it can be you're just anticipating that it might happen again. But ever since I've tried this brain, tr- this little mental trick where I, I envision that it's making me stronger, or you can pretend that instead of they're taking your blood, that they're giving you an IV with nutrients. That works too. It, it's incredible. Like if you just think about it differently, I don't get faint at all anymore. Well, that's good. I don't get faint when they take my blood at all. So that's good. Oh, yes. That is good. It's really scary. Have you fainted ever? I don't think so. It's very scary. I feel like I would know. Yeah, you would know. I remember when I was a kid, I like wanted to faint. I was like, that sounds fun. I want to faint. It sounded so like like a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's dramatic. Like you just faint. Like on Little House on the Prairie, which I always used to watch. I'm sure you didn't watch Little House on the Prairie, did you? I did. Okay. Yay. I love Little House on the Prairie. And my sister started watching it again recently. She's like, I've been watching all Little House on the Prairie. I'm like, okay. <laughs> She's 26. <laughs> So, okay. So this is a related question next, which is why I threw it in here. And it's from Beth and the subject is surgery. And she says, I'm wondering if you have any experience getting ready for surgery while doing IF. I'm living a one meal a day lifestyle. And in one month I will be having surgery. I want to be as healthy as possible so I can bounce back quickly. Do you have any tips for before and after surgery? I'm thinking bone broth after surgery. Any books I should read? What are your thoughts? I enjoy your podcast. You keep me on track. Thank you for your support. Oh, and then I put another one in that is also sort of related from Lisa. It was about injuries. And she says, hi, Jen and Melanie. 
My name is Lisa and I live in Australia and I've recently started doing IF again after trying five, two years ago and getting great results. I regularly use your podcast for extra motivation and I love the content. This time around, I've decided to do a 16 to 18 hour fast two to three times per week, which I'm finding great. However, I've just fractured my leg sporting injury. My question for you is, am I okay to continue to do IF while recovering from a fracture? My guess is yes, but I would welcome any recommendations on the best IF protocol whilst injured as well, or any other thoughts you have. It's hard to find much on this online. Thanks so much and keep up the great work. So two questions there, but basically, you know, injuries, surgery, recovering, what do we think about fasting? And then do we have any other suggestions? One thing that has shocked me over the years of doing the Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast is how many people have something that they had for a long time, whatever it was, a condition, a scar, a whatever, something they've had forever, and they start doing intermittent fasting, and that thing just clears right up. Like Donna Doobie, who I interviewed in the first year of the podcast, she had a thick, ropey C-section scar for over 30 years. Melanie, have I ever told you this story? It went away. Like, and got, like, like the ropey, thick part of it disappeared from intermittent fasting 30 years later. So, basically, when we are in the fed state all the time, our body has to direct resources to digesting food. And it can't clean up things that it needs to do. You know, we're not supposed to have those thick scars. Our body's supposed to repair our skin. But it can actually go back and manage old scar tissue. Shocking. I wouldn't write a book and say, and you'll lose your scars. That sounds fake and made up. But I've heard so many people report it that obviously it's not fake and made up. It's happening. Anyway, that lets me know that if I needed a bone to repair or if I had surgery and my body was working on healing, the fasted time I think would be very beneficial. Now, of course, you want to talk to your doctor because it really depends on the kind of surgery that you're having, you know, how you want to manage the time, you know, whether you're having, you know, your digestive system as part of the surgery or whether it's on your toe. I mean, it could be, you know, anything in between. Who who knows what it is? And it will make a difference with how you refeed, like whether you need to introduce food slowly with bone broth. If it was your digestive system, that might be just the right thing. But maybe if you're having joint replacement, you could have whatever you want to eat. It doesn't matter so much. So talk to your doctor about that and see what would be most appropriate for refeeding after surgery. But, you know, depending on what surgery you have done, that would make a difference about how you need to refeed and what you need to eat and what you need to prioritize. Like, do you need to prioritize protein or do you need to eat gentle things that are easy to digest? It just really depends on what part of the body is working to heal. As far as the fracture, yeah, I wouldn't even hesitate. I wouldn't even think about intermittent fasting being a detriment to bone healing. You know, because human growth hormone is going to be increased, which is great for, you know, building bone. I actually, Lisa, would encourage you, instead of doing a 16 to 18-hour fast two to three times a week, why aren't you doing it seven days a week? That's what I would do. I would fast every day, not just three to three times a week. I looked up studies on surgery and fasting, and there's actually a really good study that looks at people during Ramadan and surgical outcomes, which is, I think, really appropriate because that's people who are, you know, accustomed to fasting. And then the study was called the effect of fasting during Ramadan on outcomes after bariatric surgery at an academic medical center in the Middle East. And they saw there was not an increased risk for people fasting. It didn't make any difference. Did it increase the speed of healing? I don't think so. They saw no difference. It's what they concluded. But they looked at the speed of healing? I just wondered, because you mentioned that it didn't cause negative effects. So I was wondering if they also looked at the positive. They looked at the differences between perioperative outcomes, emergency department visits, readmission rates, reoperation, and complications. And there was not statistical difference between the two. But that doesn't mean that people didn't have better healing. They just didn't measure that. Okay. Yeah, I would predict that if we did a study and they actually looked at that, you know, I've just, again, seen a lot of people in the community who have had, like, maybe they did knee replacement, now they're fasting, and they had done it on the other knee years before, and they heal better this time. Anecdotally, we do hear that. Yeah, I would not be surprised. So as far as the, 
nutrition and such to have. Yeah, I love bone broth. Oh, I don't know if I told you about this, Jen. I interviewed, her name is also Melanie, Melanie Bologna. She's actually an actress, but she started her own bone broth company. Did I tell you about her? I don't think so. Oh my goodness. I'm like obsessed with her. We're like the same person. (laughs) She's in Nashville right now. So we might actually do a day trip and meet up to meet in person because we're very similar. But she started, just if you need a recommendation for bone broth, she started a shelf-stable bone broth concentrate with no added salt, all organic, and it ships to your house. And it's delicious. I just ordered a whole new pack for myself. So I don't know if the code is live yet, but I'll make sure that it is. But I'll put a link in the show notes. It's called Beauty and the Broth. I think the code is going to be Melanie Avalon and that will get you a discount. I think bone broth, yes, is a great thing for healing. The food that you're going to be eating will depend on what type of surgery you have and what you can have. I will say that a lot of times they try to, when you're getting surgeries, depending on what you're getting, they will give you packets of these recommended like nutrient shakes and things for recovery. They're probably not the best thing to... I would not go that route. I would, you know, whole foods, bone broths, protein content is so, so key for recovery. So even if it has to be an easily digestible form, so bone broths and whatever type of protein you can tolerate, you know, if it's like eggs or dairy or, you know, straight up meat, depending on what you can tolerate when it comes to the bones. So I will put a link in the show notes. I did an episode with the Caltens. They wrote a book called Rebuild Your Bones. It's a fantastic book. I will say they're not a fan of fasting. Well, they are, but they think it's hard to get all of your nutrients within restricted windows. We talked about it on my show and we talked about how to do fasting and still get all of your nutrition. But that episode is a really valuable information for what you need to build bones. And we dismantled a lot of the myths surrounding bones. That they were open to listening to you. Oh, yes, yes. And your ideas. Did did they leave with a different idea about fasting? No, I don't think so. (laughs) But they basically were able to, you know, because I was very clear that my audience, a large portion of them are fasters. So, you know, I was basically, it was like, if you're fasting, how would you recommend eating to have all this nutrition? And there's a transcript in the show notes. The show notes and the episode are at melanieavalon.com slash bones, I think. She did say that she was supportive of IF, but they had hesitancies and that it was really important to get all of your nutrition in. But the conversation was very, very valuable for understanding what nutrients are required for bones. We talk about how a lot of people think bones are you know, dead or, you know, that you don't regain bone or that you can't grow bone, but you completely can. We talk about how common drugs for osteoporosis actually affect bones and they actually, they make your bones harder, but they can be more likely to fracture because it's like, they're more likely to just snap because they're not flexible. Do these drugs prevent you from getting the minerals into your bones that you need? Have I read that somewhere? So there's two basic types. There's, was it benzophiazinates? I, I, can, I can never say the word, something like that. They stop the breakdown process in the bone. So basically in your bones, you have osteoclasts and osteoblasts. Osteoclasts break down your bones. Osteoblasts build up your bones. I hope I'm getting this right. So don't quote me on this. Most of those drugs for osteoporosis, they stop the process that breaks down the bone. So then you're not losing bone and you're just building bone. But the problem is you need to be turning over that bone because it's not going to create a healthy bone if you're not breaking down the bone that you're supposed to, because you're supposed to be constantly breaking down and rebuilding. So you're you're not supposed to be not breaking it down. So it creates bones that are very hard and, and actually brittle and more likely to fracture, which is ironic. The other form of the drug, there's another one that has a slightly different mechanism of action. I'm not certain, but in any case, the um, inspiring thing for Lisa, she's not talking about osteoporosis, but she is talking about repairing and rebuilding bone is that it can completely 100% be done. You're definitely going to want to pay close, close attention to your nutrition, getting everything that you need. So getting your protein, vitamin D is super important for bones. You know, the magnesium, calcium are really important. So check out that episode because we do talk about all of it. 
I'll also make another suggestion for surgery. I have found massive, massive benefit from supplementing NR and NMN, which helps support NAD levels. And NAD is a master regulator in your body and it's involved in so many processes and it gets really depleted by stress, by our modern lifestyles and definitely by things like surgery. So I would really suggest getting an NR or an NMN supplement. I really like Quicksilver Scientific NMN. There's a discount at melanieavalon.com slash Quicksilver. And I like Elysium Basis. They've actually been a sponsor of this show. I take their basis every night, actually. I think our code IFPODCAST gets you a discount on that as well. So I think that's my suggestions. (laughs) Well, that sounds good. So in a nutshell, fasting, good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And food and nutrition, even more so. Between the fasting and the food in these situations, I feel like the food is, it's not even a dichotomy worth comparing, but the nutrition is very, very, very important. I don't know. See, I, I we always have a slightly different opinion about this because I think that the rest from eating all the time is also really, really important. So I think that, I, I don't think we can say, I don't know. <laughs> Again, it's a dichotomy because you need both. You do need both. I will give you that. We agree on that. You can't make something out of nothing, and you can make toxins out of bad things. To thrive, your body needs healthy nutrition. Your body does need healthy nutrition 100%. Yes, that is true. I really do think that the fasting is such a key part of it. I see it more as, yeah, like the cleanup and the maintenance and the repair, like the actions. It's actions compared to building blocks, like material. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe we could just agree that they both are equally important. I don't know that they're equally important, though. (laughs) If I had to pick. I still pick the fasting. (laughs) I'd pick the food. Thankfully, we don't have to pick. So that's right. We can do both. That's exactly true. Oh, I will say you were talking about the scar being broken down. And I just want to say I talked about it last week. But I really do think that I'm going to develop a serapeptase supplement. And I think it works similar in that it's a proteolytic enzyme that goes throughout your body and, you know, breaks down old scar tissue and sort of like the process of autophagy that's activated by fasting, breaking down these things. It can do that as well, catalyze that process. I posted about it in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, and asked people if they would want a serapeptase supplement that I developed. And I got so many comments, tons of people saying that it was the most life-changing thing. A lot of people saying, well, not a lot, but quite a few people saying they got nauseous from it appropriately enough. So that's something I want to look into more. Also, a lot of people saying, why would you make your own when there's already so many? Which the reason I would want to make my own is because a few reasons. There's all of this debate out there, and I said this last time, but there's a lot of debate between the ideal form to have and do you want the actual serapeptase enteric coated or do you want it in an enteric coated capsule? What strength should you have? And then I am so, so big on fillers and ingredients and quality and potency and purity. And knowing the supply chain. Knowing, yes, exactly. And I take this every day of my life. So <laughs> I would love to just make my own and then be able to share it with others because people ask questions a lot about my recommendation. You know, while you were talking about that, I was thinking more about the you know, the fasting versus eating. Here's why I always say it's the fasting. Because if I gave up fasting and had a super clean diet but ate all day, I know I would regain all the weight I lost. With the food, I would still – I would gain all the way back even if I was very careful about my food. Because all those years that I struggled with my weight – I would be, you know, I would cycle through different eating styles from clean eating to low carb to low fat. The only thing that made a difference was the fasting and and not, you know, the what. Of course, now I'm very careful about what I eat because it makes me feel better to eat high quality foods. I'm not planning to go back to eating the standard American diet all the time. But if I did in an eating window... I feel like I would still, you know, maintain my weight and health a lot better than if I started eating around the clock. So that that's one reason that I base my answer on that. Just knowing for me, the fasting is the only thing that has improved my health, helped me lose weight and keep it off. 
you know, even though my eating is not perfection, I eat the foods that I want to eat. So quick question about that. So for the fasting, I'm assuming it requires a minimum amount of fasting to achieve this benefit, right? For me, yeah, there was like a minimum amount of fasting, maximum eating window. Because remember, when I switched to intermittent fasting after you know having no luck on low-carb keto, I introduced intermittent fasting and also all the foods. I ate all the foods and felt so much better and lost 75 pounds. Although the last little bit I did clean, clean up, quote, you know, what I was eating for the last 10 weeks or so back then in 2015. But for me, I just know. I, I feel like if I went back to eating all day, even if I were eating an ultra-processed diet, I don't think I would have the same health benefits that I'm having. An ultra-unprocessed? That's what I meant, yeah. Even if I was eating an ultra-unprocessed diet, skipping the ultra-processed foods and eating a really clean diet, I don't feel like I could have the same health benefits that I have now. I guess the the qualification question is, so like the fasting requires some sort of qualification. Like it has to be a certain minimum amount of hours And then if it were too long, it would probably have a detrimental return on effect, potentially. And you could apply the same thing to food with eating only whole foods, but there is going to be qualifications. Like you can't, like, you know, you're not eating, like binging or eating past the point of satiety 24-7, like just normal eating of whole foods. The thing is, is that I lose my satiety signals when my window is too long. Even with completely whole foods? Well, I remember back when I tried, you know, I think it was Tosca Rena or so. I can't remember her name. There was a the lady who, the first Eating Clean book I ever read, it was a long time ago. And I'd never heard of Eating Clean before, but her book was like the Eat Clean Diet or something. And I tried it. Didn't lose any weight. <laughs> what were you eating? I mean, it's been so long, Melanie. I was, you know, following her recommendations, so I can't tell you exactly, but it was she she was very stringent in what she allowed you to eat. But I didn't lose any weight. I also didn't have the palate for it back then. So I don't know what I was eating, but it was I was certainly good at following directions when I would try a diet. So I just I just know for me the fasting is a a non-negotiable. Food quality came second after fasting for me. And when I tried to do food quality only, all those years, those struggle years was basically me trying to change my food quality and none of them ever made a difference. It was only the fasting that then allowed me to change my food quality. I mean, I could see it being opposite for somebody else. Maybe only changing their food quality would allow them to be able to do fasting. I don't know. But for me, the fasting was the the magical piece. I guess for me, the fasting is the magical piece. And for me, it's what works better. So I'm the complete same with you, but I I still feel like fasting is working. Depending on what you're eating, you know, it might be undoing damage or preparing you for damage. But then if you're eating healthy, then it's just further catalyzing everything compared to the food. I don't know. I just feel like food is the foundation and it can easily be toxic, like putting something toxic into you. It can be toxic and that you just eat too much of it. So it's just a pure too much energy problem. But I don't know. It's hard for me to say that the fasting is more important than the food choices, even though for me, the fasting is what works better. So yes, I don't know. In any case, it's a good thing that we don't have to choose. That's right. We can do whatever. We can do both. That we can do both which I love doing. I'm sure we'll debate this again in the future. Probably. So for listeners, if you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get the show notes for today's episode at ifpodcast.com slash episode 213. You can get all the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like can follow us on Instagram. Oh, I just posted this really cool thing on Instagram. It's this jewelry called Invisaware. And they have keychains and necklaces and bracelets and hair scrunchies. 
you set it up with emergency contact numbers and you can put 911 and you click it and it'll call and it'll like tell the people where you are. So if you ever are in an unsafe situation, it works like automatically once you buy it, or you can pay for a subscription to ADT and actually have the option to call like a security system or have them like text you or call you. It's very, very cool. I feel so safe now. (laughs) Wow. That's good. Yeah. And it's really pretty. So, and I have a coupon. It's Melanie10 at melanieavalon.com slash Invisaware. I-N-V-I-S-A-W-E-A-R. I really, really like it. It makes a really good gift for people, especially like Mother's Day coming up and stuff. So in any case, anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope. I think that's it. All right. Well, this was absolutely wonderful. And I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.